in the se- as, as Josh noted at the beginning of the service in our second week of Advent, Advent being the, the celebration of the coming of Jesus. And often we think of Advent as that celebration and that waiting of, this, of Jesus's first coming at Christmas. It leads up to Christmas Day, and so we're, we're focused there. But we also see that Advent has this opportunity to focus on his second coming, on his return. And so we find ourselves in the book of Revelation during this Advent season and hopefully see that these two things connect, that his first coming and his second coming are better understood when they're understood in light of the other. And so the book of Revelation focuses primarily on the second coming, but, but, but clearly links it to things that have happened with his first coming. And so hopefully as we dive in, we, we will see this reality here in chapter 5, and I actually would encourage you, if you want to grab one of those Bibles, the, particular, the hardback Bible, we're on page 1030. Uh, this is the last book of the Bible, so anyone that you find, uh, we're very close to the end here. And uh, part of that is I'm going to reference chapter 4 of Revelation. Chapter 5 is long, and it's all of this picture of worship. It's this uh, really fascinating picture of worship. I talked last week about the fact that Revelation is full of a, a bunch of symbolic visions. And that's what we have here, this, this vision that John had uh, about this worship that is occurring uh, in heaven. And there's something that we can learn here. And as a reminder, there's a lot of symbolism going on here. We're not looking for uh, this to be recreated in, in history. We're not, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to be with the uh, commonly referred to from Revelation 12 as the Christmas dragon. Uh, the dragon in chapter 12. We're not looking for an actual dragon to come. The dragon is representative. We saw this last week with the lampstands being representative of the church. And so what are the things that we can learn from this vision uh, here, this amazing worship that is happening? I, I think about one of the things that was a highlight for me growing up. And, and this, was, so this was true of me growing up, uh, not just as a pastor. I, I loved the Christmas Eve service. So there's something about the worship service around Christmas an Advent season that I really enjoyed and still do. It's, I've talked about this before. One of my favorite days of the year is Christmas Eve. And we have our Christmas Eve service from 7 to 8 uh, in here. Uh, beautiful music. Uh, there are it's, it's, uh, lessons and carols. And then everybody's invited to our house afterwards and, uh, for a party. And so we hope that you all are able to join us and bring friends and family. But I also look forward to a worship service growing up and part of it was at Christmas time the full I grew up in a very old very large church and they had a choir and so you, you know the full choirs there you've got a hundred people I don't remember how many it was it was a lot and then you would have the strings and the horns all added in and it was just this magnificent music right and and those things were things that I looked forward to and that I was excited about uh, maybe for you you're not thinking oh worship is the thing that I'm excited about but let, let me encourage you to engage here a little bit, engage your imagination as the book of Revelation is inviting us to do around worship and allow it to, uh, to center us and gather us around him to be affirmed in the beauty of the gospel. Just mentioned the three points there, that this picture of worship is centering, it's gathering, and it is affirming, and that we can find uh, some really great hope in the midst of this passage this picture of worship, this just profound picture, in fact. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts and minds to your truth, that you would gather us around you, that we would be centered 
in our lives around you, that we would worship you, be changed by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we've jumped into chapter 5, but just real heads up. Again, if you want to look uh, in your Bible in chapter 4, the things that are going on here. John has this vision. So like last week, he's, he's caught up in the Spirit, and he has this vision of something that's going on in the heavenly places where, where God is. And it starts with this picture of the throne. He pictures one on the throne in the center of everything. And it is clearly to be worshipped. But then it's not just the throne that the king is seated upon. There are 24 more thrones surrounding. Lesser thrones, but surrounding the one throne in the middle. And then in addition to that, there are four creatures. And one looks like an ox. And one looks like a lion. And one has the face like a man. And one's like an eagle in flight. And it's just these powerful pictures. They both, they all four have lots of eyes in the front and behind. And I would love to see this vision, right? Like we're, we're attempting to engage our imagination, uh, get this picture of what's happening here. We don't know exactly what, it's, what it looked like, uh, and we likely never will know exactly what it looked like, but it is this amazing picture of, of what is, is happening around the king who sits in the middle. And it, it, in the midst of that, there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and there were burning torches of fire, and there's a, like a sea of glass, like crystal, in front of the throne. And there's this picture of worship, and there are the first in chapter 4, two songs of worship, worshiping the king. God, this picture, we, we, we believe, is God the Father on the throne being honored and worthy of, of all worship, of all what, what, what they say is glory and honor and power that he is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. This amazing picture of everything else fades away in, in the light of this just incredibly powerful picture of God on the throne. And so we jump then into uh, chapter 5 in the midst of this worship actually happening. And we're going to see three more songs of worship after those first two worshiping uh, the king on the throne. And, and we still have all of the elders gathered around and all of these creatures gathered around the king. And there is this picture of him being at the center of all things, that everything revolves around him. And the picture is so powerful that there's an invitation to say, nothing else matters more than this. And we could talk about the fact that all of us are worshipers, that we all, whether we recognize it or not, we worship something. And if it's not God, if it's not Jesus, then it's, it's either another God, and maybe we name it. If we're not followers of Jesus, maybe we name it as something else. Maybe we don't even think about it, but it is something else. It's our finances. It's our success. It's a particular relationship. These things that become central in our lives. We're all worshiping something. There's an invitation here to worship the king. And then there is the picture. We've talked recently uh, about the Trinity. We see a, a growing picture here of who we are to worship, and enters the scene, the Lamb, which we know throughout Scripture is, is Jesus. There's no, not a question here that we find that the one who's been worshipped on the throne is joined by another. The, the scene is set up because John is observing these things, and there's a scroll that needs to be opened up. And there's no one available to open it. And the scroll has this clear picture of revelation of God, of who he is, of what his plans are in this world, both now and to come. The scroll is the scripture. God has continually revealed himself 
in, in his scripture, but it can't be opened. And so there's something uh, that causes John to weep as a result. It's such a powerful picture. Even in the midst of this, this amazing picture of worship, something is not right because the scroll needs to be opened up and enter the scene, the lamb. But don't actually start with the proclamation of the lamb. Look at verse four, sorry, verse five. Already John has weeped because there is one who needs to come in and address the problem at, at hand. And, uh, and one of the elders says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There's this promise of fulfillment of the Old Testament, of God's promises from, from centuries before, that there is be one to come, this promise of this Messiah, the, the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. There is this, this is a part of a bigger story, we remember. The whole Bible is one big story, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Here we are in this picture of glorification and this is all the things that were promised before are being fulfilled in this lion of Judah from the root of David. And he has conquered. Real quick note on this idea of conquering. We did skip over chapter 2 and 3. We're, not, we're just taking glimpses here of Revelation. And chapter 2 and 3 were these letters to the seven churches, representative of all churches throughout history, and they come with a lot of challenge. But at the end of every one, there is a call to faithfulness. And how does the book of Revelation invite the call to faithfulness? It uses the language of conquering uh, to the church at Ephesus, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Church in Smyrna, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And it goes on and on. To each of the churches, there is an invitation to conquer. And, and the, we're not going to dive into all of what that uh, means, but there is an invitation to, uh, to step forward in, in battle. But this recognition, here we find the one who has conquered. The one who has conquered Ultimately and finally, actually the one who then allows us to do the same, who invites us into that same story. Jesus has conquered. And so he is able to open the scroll. He is able to bring about the revelation of God. He is able to, to fulfill all the promises that have come. He is worthy of worship. It is this picture of Jesus himself as divine, as worthy of all of our uh, allegiance to be at the center of all that we are and do, and to gather us around that. Because this centering is a gathering of something much bigger than, than we often think. We, we tend to think of, this is where we find ourselves in such an individualistic culture. It's, you know, the, my relationship with God and worship is about me and him, right? We find we're actually invited into a much bigger story to be gathered with one another, centered around the Lord. So the 12, I'm sorry, the 12, the, the 24 thrones, uh, theologians agree that what's at, at play here is the picture of the 12 tribes of Israel, so the old part of the story, and the 12 apostles, the new part of the story. This is the story coming together around Jesus. So we have both the old and the new, the promises of God, his deliverance, all coming together around worship of 
of the, the ultimate king, the lion who is also the lamb. And, and that's, that's a, little bit, uh, a little bit of a twist, right? So this is the, the link to the first coming of Jesus. They're, they're, the elder had claimed, don't weep anymore. The lion of the tribe of Judah is to come, the one who has conquered. And he turns and he sees, not a lion, but a lamb. And, and there is this clear connection that they are the same. The lamb comes with the power of the lion, but he also comes with the sacrificial humility of Jesus in his first coming. As we, as we come up on Christmas, as we think about Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, we think about that, that humility. We think about the vulnerability. We think about the ordinary life that he lived and then the death that he died after being tortured and humiliated. He is the lamb. And the lamb is a sacrifice. He is a sacrifice to be poured out for you and for me. He dies the death that we should have died And yet, even as the lamb, there is a picture of him with horns and eyes. And what's going on here? Again, the symbolism of there's something powerful here. The the horns are this picture of power. The eyes are the picture of the spirit of God we see going out to all the ends of the earth. This is this power that in the lamb is the power of the lion, which we get and understand a little bit more. And around that, we are gathered and invited to, to center our lives around. What are the things that, that, that might gather us in today's culture? What are the things that might, we might think, oh, that's worth gathering around? I actually looked up some of the, like, the records of, of TV audiences. The, uh, the highest TV audience gathered around the Apollo 11, the moon landing. It's not, not surprising. A bunch of Super Bowls, in fact. A lot of, a lot of football. It's not always football, right? Like a lot of you have watched the Super Bowl, don't care anything about football. It's around the commercials or just being together with other people in, uh, in smaller groups. Um, lately, and we've read even of the economic impacts of uh, people gathering around Taylor Swift and her concerts, or even football as a result of Taylor Swift maybe attending a football game. It's a little crazy, actually. And, and actually, maybe even a little bit of a warning to us to think about what's the, what's the message there and is it helpful that, we, uh, that she becomes what we might call an idol? Um, you know, the, the question though is what, what does gather us? There's something beautiful about the fact we, we pray for other churches every week. We're connected here uh, this morning. We have KJ and Jolte and Leon and Felix with us. This reminder that we're connected to the global church. Um, they're here all week. If you want to hear more about the work that they're doing, we've supported them for years. Uh, let, let them know they're here. Um, but it's a reminder that actually people are gathered around Jesus every week in individual churches and congregations. There's something beautiful happening there. Even as the church is waning in, uh, in the West, the global West, it is growing exponentially in the global South and in the East. The, People are gathering around Jesus. This is this invitation for us to be a part of that work that is happening. And in the midst of that is this worship that is hard to imagine. The singing of giving glory to the Lamb, to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, the gathering people from all around the world because of the sacrifice that he has made. He is worthy of worship. And so we see, first of all, this picture in this song of the elders and the creatures, these four creatures representing creation, giving glory and worship to him. But then it grows. It grows beyond that to not only the elders and the creatures, then we see in verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands. Myriads and myriads, actually most likely contains a connotation of like millions upon millions and thousands and thousands upon thousands, which doesn't logistically or logically make sense, but it's this grand picture. This is bigger than you could imagine, right? This gathering around in worship. But then it takes it a step farther. And don't miss this in in verse 13. And I heard for the last song that is now going to worship both the king on the throne and the lamb who is there in the center, the picture of the Trinity uh, working here. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever every creature in heaven on earth i mean this this is the again this invitation to engage our imagination it is really impossible to fully imagine I, I think about the, the moments that have engaged me in my imagination around the, the idea of worship and singing. And one that I encourage you to look up, actually. Uh, on the YouTubes, about 10 years ago, there was a flash mob in a food court. And it sounds fairly mundane, right? But it was uh, a, a flash mob of the Hallelujah Chorus. Handel's Messiah, one of the uh, great Christmas uh, pieces out there. And, uh, and it starts with... A, a, a woman with a really beautiful voice singing, I'm not going to try to uh, do it, uh, any of it, but singing hallelujah, singing the beginning part. And then as the song progresses, more and more people join in. So you know, she sings hallelujah multiple times, and then more people join in. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth more hallelujahs. And then for the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And more and more people are joining in and they're, and they're really gifted uh, musicians. And then they have instruments join in as well. And it's this powerful scene kind of out of nowhere. And, and you can't help but, but smile and be engaged. And, and, and I felt a bit emotional watching it, partly because of the amazing truth they were singing and because of the beauty of the music in the midst of that. Just a small picture of worship and the growth of it. I don't know if you've been, I would actually love to see Handel's Messiah performed live with a really big choir, right? That, that majesty. I've, I've watched videos of it. I've heard it on Spotify, but uh, I have been around big choirs and when the whole choir joins in with a, a smaller group, it is beautiful and powerful when it is when it's done well and the picture here is like it's it's done perfectly by this choir of angels and all creatures and this is this invitation for us in this time of advent 
We think about the waiting that we talked about last week. This invitation is to prepare by worshiping him. To prepare for his coming by worshiping him. And this is not just in the Advent season. This is always, our entire lives, we are waiting and invited to worship him. Eugene Peterson says this, of even our act of worship here, which is a small picture of something that is to come, but it matters. He says, the act of worship rehearses in the present the end that lies ahead, this that is to come. Heaven is introduced into the present. St. John's vision shows his congregation that what they are presently doing in worship corresponds to what presently takes place in the very heart of things, heaven. Every Sunday when we gather, we are joining in with the worship that is now happening in heaven, that is, we're joining in with those who are worshiping around the world. It is a picture of centering everything that we are and everything that we do around the one thing that deserves that centering. Jesus, the lion, the lamb. And as we're centered, we're, we're gathered. We're gathered around the God who reveals himself. The God who engages us. We think about the incarnation and the beauty of the incarnation. It is him revealing himself as the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Jesus Christ humbly walking on this earth. And that is a significant part of who he is as a revealer of his very character and his nature. God created us and he didn't just leave us. He revealed himself. This is an incredible blessing that we experience. And here we see Jesus playing that role of opening the scroll, the scripture, God's plan for what would be. And, and, and the need for it is so evident to John that even in the midst of this majestic scene, he weeps that there might not be someone who could open the scroll, who could reveal God's plans and his majesty and his gospel. Paul talks about the mystery of God being revealed in Ephesians 3. The mystery of God being revealed in Jesus. And here's this mystery that Jesus is the word. He reveals the word and he is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then skip down John 1. That was John 1, 1, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the first advent. God is this God who is clear about who he is. It's not, it's not the man behind the curtain. It's not the Wizard of Oz who's behind the curtain making himself look big, but actually it's just this guy back there. No, it is God saying, this is who I am and this is how I operate in the world. And this is what I want for you. Your flourishing and your goodness. Yes, is there mystery in the midst of that? Is there mystery in even the way that he reveals himself? Absolutely, but it is him showing himself to us, wanting relationship with us as his people. And the lamb steps into this and he reveals himself. And this is what he continually does. This is what Jesus continually does throughout his life. He worshiped. He is worshiped because he is the one able to open the scroll. That we, we see that in verse nine. Worthy are you to take up the scroll. This is why he's being worshiped. But this is the thing that he did even as he lived on this earth. So Luke chapter four, he, he says of Isaiah, this prophecy, this word of God, this revelation of God that came many years before. He says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he meant that he was the fulfillment of it. 
became even clearer in Luke 24 as he walks with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says, he opens up the Old Testament, the scroll, the scriptures, the revelation of God. He says, it's all about me. It all points to me. He's the one at the center. He's revealing that reality. And then it goes on, even after his ascension, we see the proclamation of who Jesus is as the word continuing to happen, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading from Isaiah, and he's like, what's going on here? And he reveals that it is God speaking. We have a God who speaks. We have a God who reveals himself to us. And that is not something to take lightly so that we can have this relationship with him. This is the thing that we celebrate in the incarnation, that he wants that revelation with us. That's why he reveals himself. And so we would take joy in his revelation of himself. We would celebrate it. We think of the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. 150 verses. It's an acrostic for the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and it is easily described as a love poem that, that David has to his Lord who has revealed himself in his word and even to the word itself because it is beautiful and it is a blessing for us. And so we center our worship service on the word. We, we center it on himself revealed in his scripture that we might rejoice in the way that he has made himself available to us. And there is, again, we're invited into, I mean, even take Psalm 119, take Revelation 4 and 5 here. Uh, there is an invitation to do the work of engaging our imagination. I mean, I, I think about one of the things that I love, say this often about our, our church, is engagement with the arts and the way that art engages our imagination to draw us in. And I encourage you, if you haven't already read the artist's explanations that, that come with our liturgical art do that. Allow it to engage your imagination. We constantly need that because we're, we're surrounded by the brokenness of this world and we get caught there and we often fail to do the work of engaging our imagination to see what, what God has promised and what he offers. And this, in Revelation 4 and 5, is this amazing picture to engage our imagination about who he is and what he's done for us. So that as he centers us upon him and worship centers us upon him and as it reveals himself to us, that it is ultimately affirming for us. This is, he does this for our good. We, we see the amen at the very end. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worship. It's a continuing part of this. They're affirming this and it's not just it's true. There's something more powerful and bigger here. And it, there's an amen and a celebration and affirmation of the fact that it, this is for our good. It was for their good. It's for our good as well. And we know this because the lamb was slain as a ransom for his people. That's you and me from every tribe and language and people and nation, verse 9. That we might be redeemed, that we might have our brokenness and sin covered up, that we might be drawn into this revelation and into this worship that we are invited in ourselves. It is for you and for me. I'll read again from, from Peterson here. He does such a good job of uh, engaging our imagination. This invitation that worship and the revelation of God, of, of God is for you and for me. That this glorious worship service matters 
for you and for me, and it is an affirmation for you and for me. Scripture read and preached discovers that Christ, the Lamb, reveals the meaning of my life and fulfills my destiny centered around him. Without preaching, no matter how splendid the throne and how numerous the elders and creatures, there's no assurance that I am included. And so the consequence is actually despair, enough to make a person weep. It's not enough to see the glorious throne, hear the wondrous songs, and realize the vast inclusions. If I do not discover that they include me, I will not praise, but weep if I cannot see myself among those who throw their crowns in the reckless joy, shouting, I can only hang my head and weep. This is given for you and for me. I think about, I have not been, but I've heard of the restoration hardware. They bought the, the big mansion, like $14 million house, and it's now like just a display of uh, their, their furniture, which we wouldn't put in our, it wouldn't even fit in our house. I mean, the, the couches are so big, right? It's a mansion. But you go there, uh, and uh, even if you've seen pictures or you go, it's, you're, you're observing something that you're not going to be able to take part in. That's my guess for most of us in this room, right? Like it's, it's a picture of something for somebody else. And it, it, it's not the kind of thing, fortunately, I hope, that causes us despair that we can't do that. But it's just observing this magnificence, this opulence that we'll never take part in. That you just see for the briefest moment. This picture of worship is not that. It's not just something to see that's for somebody else. It's something to see that's for you and for me. This glorious picture of him on the throne is for you and for me. It's for our benefit because we've been redeemed. We've been drawn into his family. And so as we think about that first advent, it's him coming to make it possible for you and for me to be drawn up into this beautiful picture that we'll get to in a few weeks that is ultimately perfection, all things made right, all brokenness fixed. It's for you. It's for me. We're affirmed in that because God has revealed himself in this way. So there's an invitation to center our lives around him and find that it is for our good, for our blessing, for our flourishing. Let me pray.